Hey, you're listening to On Campus, a podcast about life in a college town here in Columbia, South Carolina. Every week, we bring you stories based around a theme or a topic. If you like what you hear in this podcast, last week's episode and this one will be on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This week's episode is all about comic books, but even more than that, it's about the creation of them and what it means to be a local creator. I hope you like it. Here's the show. The past 20 years have seen an explosion in superhero films. Marvel and DC have both made it a priority to expand their cinematic universes to be able to fully take advantage of this wave of popularity. But one of the things that is often overlooked when discussing comic book movies is the comic books themselves. And while the explosion in film is seen, the explosion in comic books isn't. The reachability that the medium has now through the internet is amazing and has seen its peak in five years, according to the Washington Post. But what if I told you that there was an entire other side to comics that you or I didn't know about? Well, spoilers, there is, at least here in Columbia, South Carolina, and it's been massive. I sat down with Corey Davis, a local comic book artist. I am Corey Rockbottom Davis, and I am a comic book writer and artist. To talk about what it means to be an independent comic book artist here in Columbia. On Campus is a production of Garnet and Black Media. For more shows like this, you can click the link in the description of this episode to check out a whole catalog of great shows. There's everything from radio theater to sports to news and more. Also, please take a moment to rate and review this show on campus on iTunes. It would really help us out and we would extremely appreciate it. All right, back to the show. Every kid goes through phases of interest, whether it be cars or firemen, astronauts or sports, those interests don't always manifest itself into something long-lasting. But for Corey, his true passion was comic books, and his love for them never left. Basically, as a fan, it started for me around maybe 1989, 88, 89, um, when, uh, when the Tim Burton Batman dropped in the theaters, and okay. the, that big boom um, pretty much created an entire new generation of comic book fans and stuff and, and brought them to comics and everything. I think what did it for me was the X-Men. And I think it was around the time of uh, X-Men, Uncanny X-Men number 246 or 248, where I saw a fill-in artist that they had by the name of Jim Lee. And I saw his artwork and it just blew my mind. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Here is the progression of the typical comic book creator. You start off with being a fan and enjoying comics. A lot. Then you proceed to drawing comics of your own on scraps of paper here and there. Then you kind of graduate into saying, oh, I can use the typing paper. It doesn't have lines on it. And eventually you get serious about it, and you start trying to make it your career. Corey talks a little more about that here. So I got to college. By the time I hit college, I was like, yeah, this is the path that I want to be on. Uh, that's when I met Sanford Green. He's a popular uh, comic artist now. And we became friends and he showed me a lot of things. And he is with him. I went to my first con, my first convention. That's how I learned to network. 
There are editors there that are looking for comic artists. They're looking at your portfolio. They're looking for talent to bring into their company. And I came across uh, a guy named Kevin McQuarn. He had a studio called uh, Next Evolution. And he had this concept, a script that he wrote for a comic book called Evolution. And he, he wanted me to be uh, the penciler on the project. So, he, you know, he took a look at my portfolio, took a look at the stuff that I was doing. And this was around 98, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. So that was really my first gig or first step into the world of drawing comics professionally. And the book never got published. Oh, no. The company that um, was putting it out, uh, there was a huge fire. And I think they were based at that. Originally, they were based in New Orleans. And they moved out to Texas. And when they moved out to Texas, there was a big fire. It burnt burnt everything? Everything was lost for the most part. And that that was it. You know, that sort of setback can be devastating to an artist. To know that months of work had just been devoured in an instant might even cause people to quit altogether. You know, shots like that don't come, but once in a lifetime. But Corey didn't have that mindset. Just two years later, Corey was back and working on more projects than ever. He was honing his drawing skills, coming up with story ideas, and he helped his college roommate Chuck Brown start a story called Trench Coats, Cigarettes, and Shotguns. That actually led to an independent label called Conquest Comics. However, Corey's real break was just around the corner. And I think maybe a year later, that's when I got my series published. Work like, not saying that the other project wasn't serious, but right. I mean, like the biggest one that I've worked on um, at that point was with the Underwire magazine. And um, I had been working with them doing like graphic design inserts and stuff. And then uh, that they had another publication at that time. And the underwire was a pitch that they did to me saying, this is going to be the wave of the future and blah, 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 because it's going to be total digital format. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. We were just coming out of like the Yahoo and AOL AIM era and starting to step foot into the MySpace era, which is how I met these guys, actually. Um, It was through MySpace. And they um, had me come and do some artwork for them. And when they decided that they were going to do this digital magazine, um, I was just like, okay, yeah, I'm not sure. But then they sweetened the deal. They're just like, well, we'll give you 10 pages each issue to do whatever you want. Wow, that's a lot of freedom for someone who's only worked on one other issue before. Right, right. It was a lot of pressure like back then because you think about it, um, the protocol for guys like us who were trying to break into the industry was at best break into an independent company to use as a springboard to go into the big two, which was Marvel and DC, to have someone who's in that realm, who's trying to get their foot in the door, who instead of going to them and begging for a job, I had an editor come to me and say, hey, we're willing to give you this. And 
not too many of my peers had that same opportunity. So you can imagine how I felt at the time. You know, it's, it's exciting and you want to be able to tell your buddies, hey, I got this gig and I got this opportunity. But still, that's like a heavy heavy thing man yeah, you don't want to brag and be yeah. like I, I got this awesome opportunity but yeah and not just that but just having the responsibility yeah. you know because even if you were to go into like a big company and you have editors that you have to answer to those are people that are coming to you and they're dropping a script down in front of you and just saying hey draw this you know what I mean yeah so, in this particular case, they're giving me freedom to write my own scripts, develop my own characters and everything. I still have to answer to an editor at the end of the day, mm -hmm. but they're giving me a lot more freedom than a lot of guys at that point in their careers. And especially at that age, you have to stay focused and not take it for granted, you know, and yeah. not let it, you know, cloud your judgment as far as where you want to go with your project and everything. So... It was heavy. It was it was a big burden to bear at the time. That comic was the first to be distributed mass, you know, a mass distribution worldwide, globally, on that scale. That was the first comic to do that before Marvel adapted the format. Marvel didn't adapt the format until to, uh, 2007. Corey isn't entirely correct about this. There were comics on the web before this, but they were more like comics you'd see in a newspaper. Nothing that was quite like what Corey was producing. That project was innovative in itself, and I never really milked that cow for what <laughs> it was worth. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I didn't really think about it because I was constantly creating and giving the world my vision. And I would have my editors come to me like Joe, Joe Walker, he would come to me at the time and he'd be like, you realize that this is the first... <laughs> comic to do this you know you realize that marvel's doing this now this is around 2008 or something like that and um uh fathom who, who was another editor of mine at the time over down the wire there do you realize this is the first comic you beat marvel to the punch with this <laughs> and it it i was like yeah i guess you're right in such a successful and influential time in Corey's life i was curious what his favorite concept was at the time he told me that it was called lion's den revolution and basically what it revolved around was uh, the world of underground fighting and basically a lot of that story was influenced off of the fighting games I used to play because back then I was a heavy gamer so it was all about the PlayStation stuff back then. I came up with this concept over the course of uh, one summer I was actually doing graphic design for my godfather's business and so he gave me an office to go and mess around in all day so whenever I wasn't doing stuff for him I was creating so I created this concept came up with about 150 characters over the course of one summer so I had to narrow everything down to at least 30 so I had 30 fighters and I had to build a story around it and that was probably at that time one of the best things that I had ever come up with. The main character uh, ended up being framed for murder, for killing another fighter in the thing, and he goes to jail and then through a technicality gets out two years later, only to, you know, go and try and clear his name. The organization that he worked for were the ones that 
framed him and everything. And now, by this point, the organization that he was fighting for, they're on television now. So it's like UFC, WWE type stuff. So it went from the underground during the time he was in prison to this big thing. So he comes back in as a fighter. Wow. Basically to clear his name. And that just coming up with the concept for that, that was really fun. Each story was broken down into rounds instead of chapters so it was based on fighting so i was just like okay chapter one is round one chapter two is round two. that's really good yeah and i i, I worked with uh, underwire from about 2004 or 5 to about 2010 2011 somewhere around there so i think that was probably the best thing that i did around that time please stay with us we have more of Corey's story coming up after this short break. On Campus is a Garnet and Black Media production. Garnet and Black Media has tons of podcasts that you might be interested in. If so, check the link below. Also, this show is brought to you by you. If you have a story you think should be told in the air, send us a message at the email below or leave us a voicemail at 803 Welcome back. If you're just tuning into our program, this is On Campus, a show about stories from a college town. Each week, we try to bring you new and interesting stories to you, the listener. And this week, we're talking about what it's like to be an independent comic book creator. We were talking to Corey Davis, a local comic book artist, about his life in the comic book creator space. So after his work at the Underwire magazine, Corey felt the need to do something different and new. So he started his own business called Rock Bottom Studios and developed more titles related to the Lion's Den Revolution. So just kind of graduating from the underwire phase while I'm still working in underwire. I watched 803 form my buddy, Chuck Brown, Stephen Prowse. And I did a piece for like issue one and stuff like that. And from there, uh, I did some stuff over at Legion studios and uh, I did a couple of titles with them. Um, there was queen of sin, which is about Lilith. And there were a lot of demons involved and okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah so and and this was like my first time venturing into drawing mostly concepts and and drawing from scripts that came from other creators so they would drop me a script in my email and say this is what we got so i did uh uh, queen of sin i did uh, fallen daughters and i did master's devils over there at uh, Legion Studios. After that, he contributed through other small independent studios, making many stories and anthologies, and even drawing covers for some of their books. That was until he started working with Truthful Comics. Uh, well, Truthful Comics is uh, 100% independently owned. Um, it's the brainchild of my editor, um, who's there now, uh, Manuel Carmona. Mm-hmm. The concept is everybody who's a part of the studio, they have their own creator owned uh, characters and everything and it's 100% ours it's kind of like how image started out and uh, right now it's uh, me 
Manuel and Alvaro and my uh, buddy Ben. Pretty much it's just a collective of independent creators who came together with their own concepts and everything and said, hey, let's give it to the world. I started off with uh, a comic that was originally going to be dropped through uh, the Underwire called Shadow Club Karma. So when I went to Truthful Comics, I had a, a concept already. I had pages already drawn, script done, art done. And I kind of showed up on their doorstep with this concept and said, what I can do is I can, just to promote it, how about I do some web comics for the site? that tie into the Shadow Club story. And so that's when I first came up with Order. There's about maybe four or five different web comics that I cranked out that led into Shadow Club. And right now I'm working on a title called Jet Boy. Oh man, Jet Boy um, is awesome. It's pretty much the uh, story of a 10 year old uh, kid who happens to be an agent for a top secret government agency that polices alien technology. Basically, the story is kind of like a metaphor for 10 year olds growing up in society, especially young African-American boys that are about 10 years old that are, they have to learn balance um, at a very young age and at 10 years old, he's trying to balance being a hero, being a son, being a big brother, being a good student. All of these things are hanging on his shoulders and he's trying to balance all of these things. So you kind of see the world through the eyes of Paul Perkins, which is his alter um, ego or whatever. So you see all of these things through that character's eyes pretty much in today's society. I did the first Jet Boy comic for my buddy Mike Poole. He had uh, a comic imprint called uh, Team Caliber. And he did this anthology called uh, Team Caliber Presents. And, mm -hmm. and it was uh, me, a couple of our other buddies. And, um, I did the first Jet Boy comic in that anthology. And that was uh, maybe around the first time I thought of expanding on just the comic book side of thing. The concept went through so many different changes over the years, mm -hmm. but now I think it's, we got it where we, we want it and we're actually doing an animated version of it now um, with my buddy Mike, who worked on the Gorillaz animation team. He's my co-director. Wow. And we're working with some very talented animators right now. And we, um, we're coming up with something pretty cool. Um, we got a live action spinoff and everything. For those of you who aren't aware of what the Gorillaz Animation team was, like me, they're a subgroup of Passion Animation Studios that works with the virtual British alternative rock group, Gorillaz. The Gorillaz, while making great music, are also responsible for this entire universe in which the virtual band lives. To say I was blown away when I heard about this from Corey was an understatement. I was so blown away I even asked him if there was anything that he couldn't do. And there's been so many since then. Like there, I wanted to like do like full movies based on characters and stuff, and looked in equipment and everything, and actors and stuff, and 
it's just like oh man you gotta learn how that stuff works bro before you even dive into it that's such a big like that's a jump right oh yeah (laughs) yeah and so now we're we're at that state to where we can actually do that we're getting more and more on that now is with the the whole live action thing i was telling you about From an artist's perspective, there's no better time to be an independent creator. Not only does the internet give your books much more exposure, but you also have an entire community at your fingertips. Corey had mentioned many of his contacts coming from MySpace and Facebook in the early to mid-2000s. But now with the pervasiveness of social media, that boom has made it much easier for creators and fans to interact. However, there do come some downsides. The space has the tendency to get crowded, where once you were able to list each independent comic book artist in your own city, Now, a lot of them, you don't even know their names. Back when I started and, you know, we were all coming up late 90s, uh, early 2000s, it was a very small clique Mm -hmm. and we all knew each other. And for the most part, some of us actually worked at comic shops. Some of us were brought together through mutual friends. Our love for comics just kind of drew us together. One said, hey, I want to be a writer. Hey, I, I want to be an artist. And next thing you know, then, then, you know, just that one little click of everybody who just came together. And it was just like a small community. It was like a family. And that family has gotten so big, in fact, that Columbia actually has its own Comic-Con event. Every August, thousands of comic book fans storm the city, dresses their favorite characters. And for Corey, this is a good thing. The closest that we had for a long time was Heroes Con up in Charlotte. Back then, that was the closest to Columbia, there's so many different venues now, there's a lot more comic stores. That actually helps the comic scene as far as the artists in the area go, because it gives them more of an outlet to not just go and buy comics, but you have people that run those shops that support local artists. So the community now is just awesome compared to what it was. And that brings up a very interesting point. The real draw for local artists is that sense of community that they build. Local comics maintain that fresh and adventurous spirit that seems lost in the space. Personally, with each successive movie that gets released by Marvel and DC, the excitement in me dims just a little. Not because the movies aren't entertaining, but because the ideas are beaten to death. In the same vein, mainstream comics are mass-produced by hordes of comic creators that draw on the same style as everyone else. A lot of that magic that came from seeing a Jim Lee cover is gone now because kids nowadays that are fans of comic stuff, if they're fans of the Hulk or Captain America, they're not going to pick up the book first. Nine times out of 10, they're going to go and ask their mom to buy them the ticket to the movie. Yeah. But a lot of that magic has been invigorated by the independent space. Fresh concepts, interesting artwork, and a tight-knit community can help make comics fresh and fun again. I think that it's a great time to be in independent comics because there's so many avenues with the independent market right now as far as comics go that now they're making it easier for the fan to evolve from a fan to a creator. So if they're not looking to just strictly draw for big companies and they just want to create, Now the foundation has been laid for them with the internet and all of these tools that, you know, we have now to create and do their own thing. 
And although the allure to work for the big three still exists, I don't know how fruitful it would be for them versus taking the reins yourself and just building something that you could say, hey, this is mine. Just because something may be yours doesn't mean it's always successful. And in Corey's line of work, that usually means getting rejected. Has there ever been a moment where you thought this, I'm done with comics, I'm done with <laughs> drawing? <laughs> oh man, there were several times. <laughs> it's crazy because it's it's like I tell um, other people who are starting in the industry, I'm just kind of like, yeah, man, um, you hadn't really arrived until you got to that point. Yeah. Until you get frustrated, until you throw your pencil down, until you had that argument with your editor or something like that and and make the decision, hey, I'm going to walk away, even though you know you're not going to stay going long. Right. There there have been several times where I was just like, ah, I got to hang it up, man, because this isn't happening the way that I want. And that goes back to what I was saying about having to learn how these things pan out and how they work and not taking it so personal anymore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people get rejected. I mean, the ones that make it, um, you know, they probably been rejected several times before they finally got that yes they were looking for. Yeah. So I've had a lot of no's come through <laughs> a lot. And um, the main thing is just to, you know, keep pushing on. So that's something that I really had to learn. It was very hard. And because there are a lot of no's and a lot of door slams that left a very bitter taste. But even in rejection, sometimes there's something great that can come out of it. Uh, like I got the coolest rejection letter ever in 2002. That was the most awesome thing. I came up with this concept for Cartoon Network. They took a look at it and some of it at the time was a little bit over the top, mm -hmm. especially for kids. And they sent me this cool rejection letter um, with their uh, letterhead on it was their logo, the company logo, Cartoon Network. And at the top corner was Hong Kong Fui. I am a huge Hong Kong Fui fan. So when I got the rejection letter, I just read it and they were just like, it doesn't seem to fit the guidelines of what we're looking for, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, whatever, man, that's Hong Kong food. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even, I was not disappointed. The best way to get rejected ever, right? Yes, yes. That was the equivalent of having Hong Kong Fui come to my house and deliver it <laughs> by hand <laughs> to me. So I was just like, yeah. I'm not worried at all, man. I just got a rejection letter from Cartoon Network with Hong Kong Fui on it. Despite all the rejection letters he might have received, Corey's still doing what he loves, and for that, I commend him. It's tough to be an artist, and let alone make it your career. It's local comic book writers like Corey that are what push the medium forward, and he certainly is ready to push. I want to thank Corey Davis for talking with me. You can find any of his work at truthfulcomics.com or his Facebook page. This has been On Campus, a show about stories from a college town. On Campus is a joint production of WUSC Columbia and Garnet and Black Productions. This show was produced and edited by me, Kevin Gagnon, with moral support from the wonderful staff here at WUSC. Thank you so much for listening, and come back next week for more stories from On Campus. Love me. Love me. Our day will
Cause we'll always stay 